1: to Pineapple Radio on full service radio broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan Washington DC. I'm your host Atara and I'm your other host Ariel.
2: We're the founders of Pineapple, an online offline community of over 15,000 women who pine for food and each other. We produce events in DC, soon New York and San Francisco that celebrate our shared passion for food. We also create some sweet digital content on our blog where we peek into the kitchens of women we're crushing on. It's a fun way to learn more about a woman's personal style through food, which is what we're all about. We also have an active weekly newsletter where we share news, stories, photography and more on women moving and shaking in food. You can sign up by heading
1: to pineapplecollaborative.com slash join. And just a quick memory jogger. Uh, Pineapple Radio is meant to be a platform for women we pine for in the food community. So each week we select two women from different walks of life to chat about a specific topic on food, identity, or community. Through the conversation, we'll explore our collective passions for food um, and our identities with food, and at the end of the show, our dear friend and founding team member, Maddie Morales, is going to conduct a Spitfire interview to get to know our, our guests even better and get a deeper look into what and who they pine for. So you'll be hearing Maddie's voice at the end of the show. And just a P.S., when we say pine for, we mean that we're recognizing another woman for who they are and what they've accomplished. We have an awesome show
2: lined up for you today. We're thrilled to introduce our two guests. The first is Alison Roman. Hi, Alison. Hi, guys. Welcome from New York. I Thank you. I think she's straight off the train. Literally so. ran
3: here from the train, but <laughs> I made it.
2: Obviously, the first stop is full service at the Line Hotel. So, uh you So you're in good hands. And uh, you know, for those of you who don't know, she's a former food editor with Bon Appetit magazine. And a current best-selling author uh, with her cookbook that she released last fall called Dining In. It's an amazing amalgamation of recipes uh, to have an excuse to cook at home and invite your friends over. And it's so fun to explore. And the writing, the photography, and then, of course, the food that you end up making is all so delicious.
4: Thank
3: you.
2: And uh, you also may know her from her chocolate chip shortbread cookies that
3: have gone completely <laughs> viral on Instagram. and yeah that was a mistake. <laughs> a happy mistake, but, but a mistake nonetheless.. <clears throat> well, we're we're excited to
2: bake some of those up with you later, uh, with for our event tonight. And um, without further ado, we also have Melissa Jones in the house. Hey, and hey, hey
5: guys, <laughs> welcome.
2: Um, she is based here in DC and is an edible activist, environmental advocate, and the founder of Food Talks DC, an online platform that collects and shares food stories, spotlighting people of color. Through Food Talks, Melissa has celebrated and promoted stories from Black and Brown communities and shared empowering narratives that stem from the land.
1: Perfect. Oh, we're excited to have you <laughs> Thank you. Um, thank you both for being here. We admire each of you and are so excited to have you here. Um, both Melissa and Allison manifest the art of hospitality and leverage the power of food as a community connector. Both Allison and Melissa touch on the importance of food memories, community, and the power of creating accessible food experiences for people we love. So before we get into questions for each of you, um, I'm going to read my favorite and I think Melissa's favorite too, Mm -hmm. my favorite excerpt from Dining In, Allison's book, uh, to frame this conversation around accessibility. So Allison writes, I promise that we will never ask you to make something in two skillets if it can be done in one. We will never ask you to buy an ingredient you've never heard of unless I can defend it with my life and tell you 20 other things to do with it. I promise that we will never require you to remove all the leaves off the parsley stem because that takes forever. And I think you'll like the stem anyway. (laughs) I promise that if you read this book, you will learn at least one thing that will make you a better and more independent cook for the rest of your life. So, Allison... I've never had an excerpt
3: read aloud to me before.
1: (laughs) How did it sound? It it sounded great. I was like, who wrote that? (laughs) Who is she? Well, we love that passage from your book. You know, at Pineapple, at Food Talks DC, I think, too, we believe that food really needs to be more democratic, something that Mm -hmm. everyone can connect with. So how did approachability, or as you call it, highly cookable food, become the focus of your book?
3: Well, I think that you know when i thought about writing a book the first question is why write a book right what what do you have to say and and i have a lot to say all the time but the main goal for me was for people to use it i wanted it to be a fixture in their home i wanted them to reach for it no matter if they were cooking for themselves or having people over or a saturday or a tuesday and what good is a cookbook if you're not actually cooking from it and i think that oftentimes you get wrapped up in the photography, which in this case happens to be beautiful because I work with very talented people, but, you know, the photography or sort of how you have to do something or how you always do something. Um, and, you know, this is really more about how you can do something. And I think that in saying that and allowing people to use a different vegetable, if they can't find this one or don't want it spicy, don't put in chilies and leaving it a little bit more open-ended and... You know riffable for people kind of empowers them to say this is my dish I made this dinner you know I use this book as inspiration or I use the recipe I never cooked before this made me want to do it and I did it and it was great and nothing bad happened you know it seems to be highly accessible for people and I think it's more than just a short ingredient list and you know using one skillet as opposed to 18 pots and pans but yeah there's just something about it that that really warms my heart um but yeah, it, the intention for the book was for people to use it. And that's exactly what's happening. And I'm so thrilled.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can see from, you know, your stories where you're screenshotting people from across. <laughs> it's
3: what I did all entire, morning on the train. Yeah,
1: it's awesome. I mean, seeing that people are actually using it and feeling empowered to riff off of recipes. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, just, you know, kind of stripping away the exclusivity in the food world is really, really special.
3: Yeah, it makes people feel confident and empowered and a little bolder rather than feeling shamed for not doing something correctly or embarrassed that a recipe didn't turn out well or look like the photo or they didn't have the right ingredients or the right kitchen or the right tools. And that creates a lot of uh, scary feelings in people. And, and oftentimes they're like, you know what, I'm just going to order seamless because that seems like a lot of work and I don't want to fail. And right. the idea that like either A, it's OK to fail or B, even if you do feel it's still going to be edible <laughs> and you're going to be fine is important, I think, to remind people totally.
5: I think that's also portrayed in your your Instagram too. I love your social feed. Oh thanks. Because it isn't this orchestrated you know um, show of (laughs) this is the plate this is the fork you know like I've seen some beautiful feeds but it really just sets like your book sets the tone for what you do and Mm -hmm. how you cook you know and I feel like you've developed this you define, you know, highly cookable. But when I look at your feed, it isn't orchestrated. And it's like, this is what it is. And it gives me confidence to say, okay, well, I can cook something and it'll still be edible, but doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to look like this. Mm. So I really appreciate that. I really, really, really do.
3: Yeah, that's really important to me also, because I'm not a blogger. And I'm not Mm -hmm. that isn't sort of what I do on Mm -hmm. the daily. And all I have are. You know, you bust out your phone after you make something. You're like, oh, I take a picture. Sometimes you want to post it. Sometimes you don't. But (laughs) it's not about this hyper-curated, imaginary lifestyle. It's all very real. And as anyone who lives it understands that it's not perfect and that you don't always have the right plate or the right fork. And I mean, that said, I do have an absurd amount of like cool vintage forks that I've (laughs) accumulated over the years. But that's just, you know, a thing that I like, but um, (laughs) not necessary to a good plate of
1: food. Um, But yeah, so thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. And Melissa, um, could you give us the, you know, quick elevator pitch on Food Talks and then share with us how you incorporate the theme of approachability, accessibility um, in your movement?
5: Absolutely. So um, you guys actually said it best. I mean, Food Talks DC is a platform um, that shares stories from individuals. Highlighting people of color. Um, I think the accessibility aspect to it is, I believe that everyone has a food story. So it isn't just cornering, you know, um, the black and brown community, the latina community, everyone has a food story. That is pretty much my mantra. Um, it started off by me just having conversations with people when I started just being learning more about food from like a environmental um standpoint and just from like an health aspect. Um, I was having conversations with different people and I'm like you guys have stories, you know. Mm-hmm. I also actually used it as an icebreaker when I would do events and I would say instead of, you know, you know DC in anywhere else, what do you do for a living? Mm -hmm. And I was not going to do that. (laughs) I was not. And so I said, if I'm pulling together people through this common thread of food, like, I want to hear your story. So I started exploring narratives. And then um, I started just, you know, I have a, a, a cohort of different groups and just people who are in the food scene in different capacities. But I really wanted to place an emphasis on highlighting people in the black and brown community, especially growers, especially food activists, because I was really, really connected to what they were doing in the community and especially educating our youth in underrepresented um, neighborhoods in Washington, DC. Um, But in terms of, again, accessibility, everyone has a story Mm -hmm. and I love to hear everyone's story and I love connecting with people. And um, especially for your book, Dining In, Allison, I just felt so it almost like when that was actually a very when I read that, I was like, damn, that's like a declaration. <laughs> like she did that. Like, oh, my gosh. And that's what I like to hear. I like to hear that authentic, you know, um, narrative, you know, like your why and, you know, that wasn't anything you forced like that was for real. Mm-hmm. And those are the stories I like to explore, you know, something that is real, you know, not why you got into something, you know, what you do at your job, but like what was that journey? I like to explore those narratives. But mm-hmm. again, everyone has a story. Yeah. Everyone and has a story. And why food is important to you. You know, and exactly. how it nourishes
3: you outside of your job. But I totally agree. I'm so sick of what do you do for a living or what do you do here? And I'm I've become very cognizant <laughs> of that because especially in New York and DC. Yes. I'm not as like like that in LA as much. And when I was in LA I started every conversation with, well, what do you do for a living? Or what Mm -hmm. do you do in L.A.? Mm -hmm. And people are like, God, that's so New York of you. Yeah. I read read books. Oh, my God.
5: I listen to music. Like, (laughs) that's
3: what I do. (laughs) now I find myself saying, what do you do? And that can mean anything. Anything. Like, interpret that how you wish. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And, and, you know, oh, I like to make ceramics. Cool. Exactly. That sounds like an (laughs) awesome hobby. (laughs) Or career. Yeah. Exactly. Um, But that's really awesome and special.
1: Hey. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know... It's funny, the use of the word foodie, right? Mm-hmm. Because every person eats, every person likes to eat. It's time to, like, strip away the nicheness of food, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about both of your respective movements that you've created, that it's it's for everyone, and that's mm-hmm. the way it should be. Yeah,
5: absolutely.
2: Awesome. So you were saying, Melissa, everyone has a food story. Yes, they do. And, um, you know, there's intentionality uh that we need to bring to food and knowing the why of why anyone works in this industry is super important so that's kind of my question for you uh which is your food about all about your food journey uh so melissa if you can walk us through um that journey and you know why is food part of your living and part of your life
5: right now absolutely uh my family's from the south <clears throat> my family is from Mississippi. My mom hills from Alabama. My dad is from Miss- Jackson, Mississippi. I was born in Mississippi, but I was raised in Silver Spring along with my sister. So food is everything in my family, <laughs> okay? Like, I... I'm actually mostly a plant-based eater. I do eat some seafood. Will never um, deny my grandmother's fried fried fish, ever. (laughs) Okay, it is the best. (laughs) Um, But food has always been the center of family conversations, part of my culture, part of, you know, growing up. You know, like we ate just pretty much every. Part of the pig growing up you know mm-hmm. um, I wasn't I wasn't raised eating fresh food or you know or anything like that but food has always been a part of my life and really I have to say I have to place emphasis or give credit to my mom who's pretty much um, you know paved this path for me in food because I watched her count her calories always go work out you know but I will say like my sister and I growing up we weren't forced to eat like healthy food if I wanted ice cream
0: for, bro- for dinner? Cream.
5: I got ice cream, okay? <laughs> I didn't have to eat broccoli. I didn't have to eat any of that. Like, we grew up just eating what we wanted. So that freedom in food actually started there when we were really young. You know, my mom wasn't forcing us to do it. If my sister wanted Rice Krispies with a pile of sugar, that's what she ate. You know, but just growing up, I just watched my mom just be... Um, conscientious about food, you know so again I have to give credit to her and she started having health issues so um, I think it was like maybe ten or fifteen years ago and so she pretty much like saw doctors and then she saw a holistic doctor and they said stop eating gluten and it pretty much cured you know what was going on with her and so from there I took an interest I said well if you know what we're what we're eating can be associated with some of the health issues that we have like I want to look more into this like what have I been feeding my body so again just kind of like going after her footsteps and you know reading and learning and watching all with documentaries and like being like damn it the hell you know I just feel like you know duped and so it was just a lot of education it was a lot of documentaries it was a lot of reading of books um and so which led me through this path of like what am I feeding my body what am I feeding my mind what am I feeding my soul Mm -hmm. you know so it was also more than food it was just like who's around me you know what conversations am I having with people who's in my group you know because Mm -hmm. it is more than food so it was really it was it's very educational you know and health related and then um I'm conscientious about our environment, you know, like climate change is real. <laughs> it is real. And, and I, I got interested in learning how um, sustainability and agricultural practices were affecting climate, you know, and it was really, really important to me and just um, very sad. And then um, noticed that a lot of populations that were non-white were more so affected by climate change. And it was also through the lens of food. And a ton of other practices, you know, so I started just to pull everything together. And I was just like, food literally is everything. it's like the 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 wheel. Mm -hmm. And then there are different spokes, you know, and I'm like, you take you just can't take one piece out and be like, oh, that's fine. It's like it connects to every single thing. Mm -hmm. And so, again, I wanted to do something about it. And so I'm actually an event planner by trade. Um, I've been I've had my consultancy for the last almost eight years. And so I wanted to leverage my skill for planning to do something. I was like, I'm not a farmer. I'm not a grower. You know, I'm not like some activist that's like going to go on stage and, you know, and like power to the people. Like I was like, that ain't me. (laughs) So I was like, what can I do? So I was like, I could do events. I started out very small. I was like, I can just pull people together. I can plan, Mm -hmm. you know, I can find, like, a really cool, like, food spot. And it was formerly Good Soil Events before it was Food Talks DC, but it was those conversations that I was having. I was meeting all these different people, and I was like, I'm so interested in these narratives and who you are as a person and less about what you do behind your desk, but about your journey. You know, and also learning that you have several journeys. There isn't just one either, you Mm -hmm. know. So, again, it stemmed from this, from my family, watching my mom, um, just being very conscientious and watching videos and reading books and stuff. And it just led me on this path of food. And you can't take me away from it. (laughs) You can't. You know, you could take a lot of things away, but this is here to stay. So.
3: Well, it's also interesting because when we talk about food mostly in media and when people are, oh, I'm really into food, I'm like, well, you're really into eating at restaurants. (laughs) You're really into like (laughs) that part and taking pictures of your food. But do you. There's not enough conversations about mm-hmm. where the food is coming from and mm-hmm. how that affects our environment. And granted, that's a lot less sexy than, mm-hmm. like, look at this burger of that course, I'm eating. Of course. But it's important, and I feel like you're doing it in a really fun, dare I say, sexy way. Thank
5: you. Thank you. Yeah, and that's the other thing. I never want – there isn't – and when I tell people, there isn't a right or wrong to your story or what you're doing. You know? Like, I'm not going to be a part of a group that's, like, shunning out everything else because they believe, like – all vegan and I, like I'm not about those mo- like to each his own like I get it but you know when we talk about accessibility I want everyone to feel comfortable regardless mm-hmm. of what your path is regardless of what your, bra- your background is or what you're eating or what you're doing like you can be a part of these conversations mm-hmm. it's open to everyone you know so that's also about accessibility making people feel comfortable you know so
2: totally. yeah thank you for yeah. sharing that absolutely and uh, Allison, putting it over to you. Uh, yeah. And can you walk us through your food journey?
3: Oh, what a journey. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, what, what you guys were just saying, it's really not one journey. I feel like there's many parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, everyone grows up eating food. And I was lucky enough to have parents that cooked food, but also would order me a Domino's pizza. You know, it wasn't one or the other. And again, you know, I wasn't restricted. Um, They never said you couldn't have soda. I just didn't like soda. Mm -hmm. The carbonation bothered me. As a child, I was a very sensitive kid. Um, I've only recently gotten into soda water. Um, It just hurts my face, the carbonation. It's too much. I do like wine, though. Um, anyway, <laughs> me too. <laughs> we'll, we'll have, have bread some, bread some writer, bread, bread, bread. yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, I I went to college because that's what you're supposed to do when you graduate high school. And even though I didn't really have a focus, I thought that I would focus on writing because it was something that I did anyway. Um, always had been a big reader, a big writer, uh, really a journaler is what I was. I had a lot of diaries, and. Um, It just wasn't for me, which I feel like is so bratty to say, but I I felt really understimulated and I felt really restless. I wasn't connecting with people and thought maybe this isn't for me. And I just kind of stuck around. And then I discovered cooking through, you know, somebody like a boyfriend I had at the time or something. We just got really into cooking together and it totally changed my life. And, And it clicked with me in a way that nothing had before. And I thought I'm really interested in in this from a intellectual perspective from an emotional perspective. I don't think I had that much clarity at the time. I was, you know, 19 years old and I was just like, "Oh, I like doing this. This makes me happy." And that's really all I was focusing on. Mm-hmm. And so I I looked into going to culinary school and was going to I dropped out of college so I could go to culinary school and went to talk to this pastry chef at this restaurant that I uh, we had gone and eaten at several times and really loved and it's like, you know, I'm going to culinary school. What's your advice for me? Would, would you be able to talk to me about it? I just knocked on the back of the door of this restaurant. <laughs> I did not have an appointment. They were like, who are you? Go for it. Um, yeah, I just went for it. And he said, well, my advice is don't go. Don't waste your money. Mm-hmm. He's like, if you want a job, I could probably find you one. If you want to work at our bakery across the street, you know, we'd be happy to have you. You'll make $7 an hour. <laughs> and so I said, yeah. And I took the job. And I told my parents I was leaving college to go cut marshmallows in the back of a windowless room for the rest of my life and they were not pleased but um, I think that they it was the beginning of a long string of crazy ideas that event that always kind of ended up panning out so now when I tell my dad you know I'm doing something that seems insane he's like well you always seem to land on your
4: feet (laughs) I'm (laughs) like yeah I mean I
3: always figure it out He, he sort of you know 15 years into it started to trust me but every time I said okay I'm moving to San Francisco "All right, I'm moving to New York and they're like you don't have a job you don't know anyone what are you doing And so I worked at a restaurant in LA, which is where I'm from. Sorry, Um, for about a year and a half. I moved to San Francisco. I was a pastry chef there for about four years, Um, and then I moved to New York on a whim to sort of not work in restaurants anymore. Because at that stage, I had been in restaurants for almost six years, and it was great and fulfilling. But I was getting a little burnt out. And um, the one I worked at in San Francisco, we had moved from a smaller location to a bigger location, and that was just a huge undertaking. And it, just the grind of it all in the hours, and I was a sous chef and, and writing schedules and going to the market and teaching people, and also being in charge of too many things. And I was, it was like a short circuit moment where I, I needed to recalibrate and think, okay, what am I doing? Because my day to day is no longer kind of making me happy. Mm-hmm. But I found out, you know, through that process, I my favorite part was teaching somebody. Anytime we'd get a new person in, I really enjoyed. The process of saying, this is how you do something and this is why. And I think it's because I've always had amazing teachers. Mm -hmm. The mentors that I've had throughout my career have just been super patient and really unorthodox and really always took a chance on me even when I didn't look like I should have the job or if I didn't know anything, which most of the time I didn't. I still don't know a lot. Um, but So I, I kind of adapted this teaching style from all of the teachers that I had, which also includes books and you know, people I'd never met before. And so I moved to New York, which was supposed to be for three months. I was going to just live there for three months to see and then move back and open this bakery with my old boss in San Francisco. And about a month and a half into it, I w- had gotten a job at Momofuku Milk Bar when they were still, they were like not even a year old, I think. And they're like, you, we, we want to make you a manager. We're going to give you a salary and health insurance. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> and so I just stayed and that was nine years ago. So three months turned into nine years and... um That was that. And so, you know, about a year and a half in a milk bar, I had helped them work on their cookbook and worked, you know, it was a really small team at the time. It was a really special moment for the bakery. They were just, you know, starting out. And it was a very intimate, very fun group of people. And we had a really great time. And I kind of realized, okay, again, I had that recalibration moment. That's not why I moved to New York. I moved to New York to not work in restaurants to not get back into this grind but it was all I knew it was sort of well I know I can make money doing this because this is what I do and because it was a bakery not a restaurant I justified it and so then I I left I quit again without a job Um, I was making biscuits for my friend Sarah who owns pies and thighs in Brooklyn just to have a paycheck Um, and it was awesome because I didn't have any responsibility and I was it was quiet I was just work by myself and make biscuits all day it was amazing. And just put the word out to anyone and everyone that I knew, and said, "I'm looking for a job in food." And that can be a photographer's assistant. It could be a food stylist. It could be a writer. Or if you need help with a cookbook, I didn't even know what jobs existed at the time. This was, gosh, uh, six, seven years ago. And so Instagram wasn't a thing. People, the way that they talk about food now, was not a thing. This radio show was not a thing. You guys weren't a thing. You know, like. Everything that is so available and, and amazing about our food culture today, seven years ago, it was not like that. Mm-hmm. And so to kind of even know where to start was really challenging. But I ended up getting an interview with um, the food editor at Bon Appetit at the time through my friend Helen Hollyman, who's a real badass. She um, was the food, like, founding food editor at Munchies. And <clears throat> she had worked with him and, and introduced me. And he's like, well, I'm looking for recipe testers. Have you tested recipes before? Oh, yeah, definitely. I just test all the recipes. He's like, which was not true. And so he, he brought me in for a test run and um, what he ended up asking, what they ended up asking me to make, which I didn't quite realize was a test at the time, but it definitely was, were biscuits. <laughs> And I was like, oh my God, I know how to make biscuits because that's all I've been doing for the past six months. (laughs) And I felt very, very lucky. Um, I don't know how that happened or where that came from, but uh, thank you, whoever. Um, And uh, yeah, so I got the job. I was a freelancer there for about a year and a half. They didn't quite have room for me on staff, but that didn't bother me because I was there and I was working and I liked it a lot. It was challenging and wonderful and, and totally different than anything I had done before and huge learning curve. Um, And then eventually they started asking me to write, you know, 200 words on this or that. And I remember the first one that I did was so bad. Um, We should look it up online and do a dramatic (laughs) reading of it later because I think I I was like writing like magazine person writes article about thing. You know, I didn't have a voice because Mm -hmm. I my voice was whatever I thought they wanted me to be. Mm -hmm. And eventually I mean, my editor, he was like, "Okay, so this is a great start. Um, we're going to need you to just, just be you, just, just like you're talking to your friend. I'm like, okay, I can do, okay, sure. Yeah. And I came back with probably the same thing, (laughs) still not right. And 18 revisions later for a 200 word sidebar. Um, but yeah, so I was at Bon Appetit for about four years, um, just kind of changing roles gradually and getting more responsibility. And as they changed, just filling new needs and stuff and developing recipes and, writing a lot more and it was great and such a wonderful job and a wonderful place to work and I love them all so much and you know it was just kind of time for me to move on when it was time for me to move on you see it was the same sort of restlessness it like comes up in you and you're like okay what what's next you know I I thought I could work there probably forever because it was great and you know my quality of life was amazing my co-workers were awesome but it was really more about what do I want my career to look like in the long term and if I've felt like I couldn't make it on my own and build a name for myself, then I was never gonna do it. If I didn't leave then I was never gonna leave. So I left and it was really hard and I cried a lot. And I took a job at Buzzfeed. It was not the right fit for me at all. Again, lots of crying, but um, it just wasn't for me. And so I left, and that's fine, too. And then I started freelancing, and I got a cookbook deal, and everything has just been great and perfect since... Th- no, um, <laughs> it's been sometimes hard, but mostly uh, wonderful and amazing. And I feel very fortunate and lucky to be able to do what I do, which is write recipes that people like to cook.
2: Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank very you cool. for yeah. sharing you're that. you um, I think both of your journeys really highlight the idea of trusting your gut and finding your mm, voice mm-hmm, uh through food sure. and having the confidence to do that uh, especially as women um i think sometimes it's har- hard to have the courage of your own convictions and mm-hmm. say you know maybe i'm gonna drop out of college mm-hmm. or you know maybe <laughs> i'm gonna start yes, a side con- project confidence is
3: what that was yeah. uh yeah yeah well,
2: you know, as my mom always likes to tell me, fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. So um, it's one way to also frame that. And, uh, I agree with mom. you know, it's really a personal journey to what you all shared. And it's inspiring others to find their voice and trust their gut, whether it's cooking in their kitchen, figuring out what's for dinner or, you mm-hmm. know, exploring Yeah, who they are and what they want to be in their life.
5: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it wasn't, I'm sure it's, it's, your voice isn't like, it isn't an an overnight thing, as you ladies know. Um, And so, and, and I just like, as Allison talks, I'm just like, I feel you feel you, girl, you know, because like in my 20s, early 20s, I didn't know who the hell I was, no. you know, like it was, I was defined by what people wanted me to be mm-hmm. or say, yeah. you know, but like as the years go by and you really, you know, hone into what you're supposed to be doing and you're like in alignment, like that voice develops, Yeah. you know, yeah. like that's what that's about. So
3: I had uh, drinks last night with a few friends and
5: three of us are 32 and mm-hmm. one of us
3: was 28. Mm-hmm. And she's like, why are all my friends who are in their early 30s just totally crushing it and seem so happy and positive? And I'm over here just struggling. I'm like, because you're 28. 28. And <laughs> I was like, I promise, like, almost the minute you turn 30 or 31, that you're like, light bulb. Oh, yeah, Dang. the light bulb goes off. Yes, it does. Someone mm-hmm. the other day asked mm-hmm. me, what they said, like, oh, what I wouldn't give to be 24 again. And I was like, you could not pay me to be 24
5: at all. Can I get a five on that one? Yeah, absolutely <laughs> not.
3: I mean, any 24-year-olds out there right now, you're great. You are. And you're going to be great. Yeah, you are. And it yes. is, yeah, but just
5: <laughs> when you're 32, you'll exactly. I'm 35, yeah, so I exactly. get it. Like, you could not pay me to go back no. to those days, no. you know. It's so. better over here. And it gets better.
1: Yeah, it gets better. Awesome. I totally agree with that. Um, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, my next question is for the both of you to answer. It's a big question, so just brace yourselves. <laughs> um, both of you have created community around your projects through Dining In. You know, I see all the time on Instagram people cooking your uh, your recipes and having friends over and really, you know, carrying out the mission of Dining In and through Food Talks too. Um, so. Given your respective areas of expertise, what changes do you want to see in our food system that we could use community to solve? Hmm.
5: Oh, gosh. Um, that's a lot. It <laughs> is a big question. Um, my main mission is to, I, I aim to solve a problem through just about everything that I do. And again, that problem that I saw was a um, non-white population not being represented in different aspects of food. And that's what I want to see done. Um, Food talks will definitely change and evolve, um, like, greatly. And... I want it to be a resource. You know, we're all, we're, we're talking about, you know, all these, the f- food bill, the agriculture bill, the climate change. Like, I'm highlighting people who are doing the work, you know? It's like, why are we like, trying to figure out what to do? You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I, I know people who are doing the work. It's not that complicated, you know? Yeah, so let's talk about that and empower
3: them. Exactly.
5: And, yeah. Let's empower them. So, that is my sole mission, you know, is to to continue to solve that problem and and highlight as many people from the black and brown community that I can who are doing the work um and you know and continue to share their narratives and what they've been through but they're using that to their you know they're using that to solve other problems that are going out you know that are going on in the food scene so that's my biggest thing. And it's not, I don't think it's going to change.
1: It's oh, powerful. Yeah. You don't think it's going to change?
5: I don't, well, for the good. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. for the good. Yeah. yeah. I
1: don't so. <laughs> No, that's powerful. I mean, I think it's really easy to, you know, get together with friends and kind of, you know, lament on the big problems in the world. Mm-hmm. But I like your point that, like, people are actually working on it. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's almost erasure to just, like, ignore the fact that people are doing the work.
5: Exactly. You know, I had um, a good friend of mine. Um, she said, She's a firm believer that really... And I know it's, it's tough because the media will have you on edge from nuclear war to what's going on up the street, you know... And she said, really, only, like, 1% is, like, all bad. And we always see that 1% because Mm -hmm. it's on the tube. It's, you know, on social media. So I try not to focus on all that 1% that can, like, cloud our minds because it will drag you down. Sometimes it drags me down, you know. And I'm like, no, like, I'm working with, like, a ton of, like, badass people who are doing, like, badass things and. Being in groups like this in this environment, like, this is not the 1%, obviously. Like, mm-hmm. this is the 90, the 99. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's just my that's view. That's a great
3: point. Yeah. And a good thing to remind ourselves of. Absolutely. Scrolling Twitter and feeling, like, you know, yeah. awful. Exactly. Okay.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. Um, wow, that's that's going to be hard to follow up. Um, but I think you know what I'm you know getting at is sort of related tangentially to what you're talking about. But it's really just kind of breaking down the barrier that um, food is somehow a thing that only certain people can do or talk about um, and make and eat, and it's such a universally uh, talked about thing, but the things the way that we talk about it is so niche and we focus on the same type of person all the time and the same type of visual and the same type of you know i, I don't know i i think that having as many women in food lately um and having people highlight them is a huge first yes. step because to you know say nothing of even like any minorities or you know gender discrimination and what it's like to work in restaurants and people that are profiled in the media and how skewed they are towards straight white men and it's that conversation I feel like we're just now starting this year and that is not my mission and that is not what I stand for like in this book and in my daily life but it's something that's really important to me and I think just by kind of breaking down a bunch of walls and saying like, this is accessible. This is for everybody. I'm going to reach out to you. I want people to be actually cooking and talking to each other. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the most powerful things that you can do is inviting people over for dinner and getting to know them and breaking outside of your friend circle and kind of just getting outside your comfort zone and have a conversation. And I'm sure you're all familiar with Julia Tertian and the work that she does. And she's incredible. And I hear her talking about that a lot, which is, Have people over and talk about stuff. What's important to you? Mm -hmm. Oh, we've never met. We don't swim in the same circles. That's great. All the better. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, and
3: kind of discussing what's important to people. I went to an amazing dinner last week that she actually happened to be at. And I ended up talking with these women who who I never would have met otherwise. And one woman was like, oh, I work in the fertilizer industry and I'm working with, you know, fertilizer mines in Morocco, which is where 90% of our fertilizer comes from. And here's Gosh. how that impacts the farmers. And, mm-hmm. you know, they export it to import it. And, you know, we're working on changing that conversation. And I just thought, wow, that's fascinating. And I told, you know, like 20 more people about it. And maybe now they'll uh, buy fertilizer. No, I don't know. That's not really what I'm trying to say. Right. But it's it's more just, a, it's a very powerful tool it to is. cook with and eat with people. And um, without it feeling like this unattainable lifestyle thing we've become so fixated on especially with Instagram and blogs of having this lifestyle mm-hmm. and this look to yes. everything and people feel like they can't do it if they don't have the right apartment or the right this or that and you know I think kind of doing away with all that and making us all remember that we're humans exactly. and we eat and we like to hang out and let's talk about stuff and that's important but nothing's going to change if we just stay in our little bubble forever
1: yeah I
2: agree it's- I mean, pineapple we're all about you know bringing women together around their shared passion for food and having conversations like this one, where you know Allison and Melissa, we get to hear you two in conversation with each other and despite your different work in the food system, you know you have so much in common and uh, food is for everyone, and in fact, it's a great activator for women to connect and share with each other. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of what we're all about um, with this radio show and our events. And uh, you know, thank you guys for that perspective. I'm so excited right now to introduce uh, one of Pineapple's founding team members, Maddie Morales, a great friend, and also mover and shaker in the food world here in DC and she's gonna lead the Spitfire interview to learn more about each of your personal food styles.
4: Yeah, thanks Arielle, and hi ladies. Hello. So excited to be on the air with you. Um, I spend my days thinking a lot about how to build local food economies that are sustainable, um, so your, your notes on community building and accessibility is really inspiring. So thanks for sharing some of your journey. Of and we are not done yet. <laughs> um, so ready for some Spitfire questions? Ooh, yeah. So. All right. First one. Who is a woman you pine for in food? Melissa, you want to start? I will. Um,
5: Jennifer Lumpkin, who is a black grower here in D.C. Mm-hmm. I got all my produce yeah. from her last summer, and I'm looking oh, so forward to good. the summer again. She's awesome.
3: Does she have a city, like a farm in the city, or is it She farms
5: everywhere, oh, really? actually. She farms at UDC, just different plots. Like, she's all about community building. You got mm-hmm. some land. You want me to grow? That's what she does. Awesome. So, And she's a certified grower. She's amazing. Cool. Yeah.
3: Um, mine's going to be my friend Yawande Komalafe, and she's an amazing woman. We also have the same birthday. Hi. Hey, Virgos. Okay. Um, <laughs> she is a huge inspiration. I met her when we we actually started at Milk Bar together. Um, well, she was there before me, but that's how we met, so many, many years ago. But she recently started this food series, which was the dinner that I was just talking about, called uh, My Immigrant Food. And so she host these dinners in her home with her husband in this cool Brooklyn apartment. Um, I walked in, I was like, you live here? (laughs) Um, She's like, yeah. And, um, you know, inviting different people that she knows. I think she, you know, focuses on women, but different stories to tell, and it is so in line with what Mm -hmm. you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And just saying... You know, oftentimes as an immigrant, you come here, whether you're born here or your parents are born here, you know, it doesn't really matter, but the history of your family and you come here and you think, oh, there's no restaurants where I can eat the food that I grew up eating. Mm. And there's no, you know, even when I do eat at those restaurants, it's really not the same. And educating people through cultures, through their food and letting that tell the story and say, you know, we had a meal last year or last year, last week, and it was West African food. And it was so different than any other Mm. food i had had that would call itself that. And it was so fresh. And delicious and full of, you know, tangy things and spicy things and herby things and just not what I expected. And wow. I was blown away. And they're like, yeah, this is how it, the food was in our home. And mm-hmm. it was just really special. And I met people that I'd never met before. And she's great. Um, she's
4: working on her website, but you can look her up on Instagram. But she's fantastic. Definitely cool. a woman to pine for. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. What is your favorite woman-made product? I have. Too. I'm sorry, guys.
5: Um, Katina, tour, her pita bread, oh. have to. I love all her products, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, Katina is amazing. You guys know I rave about Katina. Um, <laughs> we actually we we did a farm to table heritage tour to Greece. Like cool. Crete, the island of Crete in Greece, amazing. And her products are awesome. She'll actually be here tonight. Oh, right. um, but I love everything she does. Her baklava is amazing. But her pita bread is so darn good. Um, also, Michelle's granola. I swear by it. It's the only <laughs> granola that I actually buy. Um, probably the other best, the second to best um, granola that I had was in Texas. It was homemade. But Michelle's granola, the best. Love it.
4: Awesome. Kavita, if you're out there, snag sneak some uh, pita bread in your purse. Yeah, for would eat. Thanks. Would like.
3: Um, mine's also bread related, actually, and it's less of a product but more of a thing that. But hot bread kitchen um, out of New York is amazing. Um, I they have a little stand at the farmers market where I'm at at least once a week, and um, I try to have something new every time I buy from them, but I end up getting this. Um, I'm gonna mispronounce it. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's like an S and an apostrophe. Yeah. Oh, wow. Semem. Uh, I'm embarrassing myself, and I'm sorry. You're good. Um, but it's like this flatbread, uh, flaky bready type mm-hmm. thing, and it is so crazy delicious. And I have to buy one, walk away, and then eat it because if I were to eat it there, I would. Five five, and
5: I just (laughs) can't afford that. In Brooklyn or in Manhattan? In Manhattan Manhattan,
3: Union Square. Yeah, I think they're there Wednesdays and Saturdays. Okay, maybe Mondays as well. It's the market's a little thinner in the winter, so um, it's
2: like a Moroccan flatbread. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, it's so delicious. But they have amazing brioche and they have amazing rolls and they have they have you know every type of bread and from all different
4: parts of the world. Sounds like you can't go wrong there. Yeah. All right, this one's a little bigger. What is your favorite woman-led movement? So,
5: anything that Michaela Angela Davis does, who actually lives in Brooklyn, New York, and I've met her twice, and you talk about badass. Mm-hmm. Anything she she's this black image activist, and um, one of the movements I know that she's that she's done before is just um, women rocking their natural hair and just like who they are, and just like show your natural elements, you know? Like, you're not defined by your hair. And she did, like, this whole, like, series on it. And she this is ongoing for her, but she is amazing. I love everything that she does. But Kylie Angela Davis, yeah. And she's from D.C., actually. But she's just been living in New York all her life. Get so. her on the show. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get out her in here. Yeah.
3: yeah. Um, mine's a bit weird. Um, <laughs> well, not weird, but I, I didn't quite know who to attribute it to. But um, in, you know those... Uh, underwear. Thanks. That are like wimp for women with periods. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I am super into that movement because all over the New York subways are like pictures of grapefruits that look like vaginas with the word like (laughs) we get our periods on there. And like, you know, just the word vagina on the New York subway just kills me. I love it. I'm like, yes. Um, And it's, you know, bringing the conversation that women bleed because they menstruate and, Mm -hmm. you know, the ones that do. And I, I just find it so refreshing and so ballsy of them and I loved that they just plastered like every station with that and you know how uncomfortable it made certain people mm-hmm. I just couldn't get enough of it and love I would it. love to see more of that type of you know same thing of like natural hair like women bleed like we have mm-hmm. we are a have bodies and sometimes bodies are weird and gross or sometimes they look better when you don't try to look like somebody else and you know, try and suppress the things that are natural about us Mm -hmm. and make us special and wonderful creatures. And I just thought
4: that was so cool. That's great. All right. What is your go-to pantry item? Rice. Rice. Hmm. And oatmeal. Yeah.
5: It's like number. It's like number. I don't know which one is one or two, but oatmeal and rice. They're both one and two. Sounds both good. one and two. Yeah. yeah. And let's see, <laughs> jasmine rice. Okay.
3: Oh. Um. Mine are. Well, gosh, I have so many pantry Mm. items. I don't really know that I have one, but probably the thing that I reach for most is like crushed red chili flake Mm. or whole chilies. Mm. I put it in pretty much everything. I like everything spicy. Um, I've got a little caddy of them next to my stove where I cook and, you know, I cook with a lot of anchovies Mm. and a lot of this and a lot of that, but I put chili in everything. The smoked chili pepper flakes from
2: Daphnis and Chloe Herbs. Have you had that? No, they've changed my life. Okay, I (laughs) swear by them. I want to get in there. They are. I haven't had them. Okay, cool.
5: Katina sells um, a brand of them. They're from Crete, and I put the I put them in everything. Yeah, everything needs a smoked chili. The smoked
2: aspect Mm -hmm. really changes the game. It
5: really does. (laughs)
4: Sounds tasty. Yeah. All right. So, how about your staple? item maple syrup you're so quick
3: on these she's (laughs) like I know I read did my homework (laughs) I'm like well
5: um, but it mm -hmm." really is though like I reach for maple syrup like I eat a lot of oatmeal but maple syrup is probably the number one thing I love maple mm. syrup. Are you
4: supposed to keep maple syrup in the fridge after you this, open it? Is this something I do. I've been missing out on? I do. All right. I don't think Noted. a lot of
5: people do, but I put mine in the refrigerator okay. after I open it. But I don't think you have to, though. All right. I like that idea. It sits in my fridge, though. It's a personal <laughs> preference. Yeah. You go either way. <laughs> um, Mine is yogurt.
3: I have yogurt mm. in my fridge all the time. I like Faye. Um, the best yogurt is Strauss yogurt. Whole Greek yogurt, but you can't mm. find it on the East Coast. It's like $10 for a container of it. and wow. I would just give them all of my money if they could just ship it to me in New York. Um, It is perfect, but otherwise I use Faye or Mm Siggy's or, you know, but it goes with everything. I put it in everything. I bake with it. I cook with it. Cool. I sauce with it.
4: All right. So we've been talking a lot today, or you all have been talking a lot today about how to create uh, accessible communities. So for all of our listeners, uh, what's one action someone in the pineapple community could do to create accessible community around food? Um,
5: I have to piggyback off of Allison because I just think she made a very profound you know, statement just about invite people over to your home to have a meal. Um, when I did my last event at Uptop Acres months back, uh, Katina was one of the storytellers, and she spoke briefly about our trip to Greece. And one of the things that she um, referenced, and that was so prominent when we were over there, is that it was every—it it was all about hospitality. Everyone was so nice, and so we're walking through neighborhoods, and literally, like someone would hand me a cucumber or like a walnut, what? and like it was just—it was different, and so. Being over, I felt like coming back to the States was more of like a cultural shock coming back here mm-hmm. <laughs> than it was, you know, going over there. And I was just like, we need to open up our homes more, just open up our food space more, just open up our space where, you know, protected in so many different ways. And sometimes it's warranted, you know, but I just couldn't get over the hospitality that was over there. Like, I could not believe it. And so... We just need to open up our space a bit more and just invite someone, break out of your comfort zone, you know? Um, You all are uh, very familiar with Lauren Nixon. Like that, I I love her with my dear heart. She is a food educator and she is all about accessibility. And I feel like you guys, like, you know, are in alignment just in terms of, you know, like forget that, you know, forget that perfection, you Mm -hmm. know, like your meal doesn't have to look a certain way. And so she's like a really big example when it comes to accessibility and someone who I look up to. Um, so I would just even say, check her out and follow her work. So yeah,
3: cool. Yeah, I will. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, being a human person is a great place to start. Um, connecting yes. with people, what? not on the internet, That's important. um, saying hello, <laughs> yes. meeting new people. Um, next time you want to go to a restaurant, maybe go by yourself, maybe sit at the bar, just drink up a conversation with someone. Um, Invite people over that you, that don't fit perfectly into your friend circle, mix it up. And, you know, I think really wonderful, beautiful things happen when you do that and you make interesting connections and they can lead to something else down the road. And, you know, I mean, I've done it before and I'm like, oh, well, I'm never having them over again. <laughs> that didn't work out um, just because we didn't vibe, which, but it was good to right. find out. Um, otherwise, how will you know? Exactly. Um, but yeah. And, you know, I tried to do a lot of, I tried to respond to people's questions on Instagram and emails, and I really want to make it, you know, known that I'm a human person. That, That's cool. You know, I want to help people cook better. If they're having trouble, I want to help fix it. Mm-hmm. I want to, you know, give them solutions. And I think that the more people can kind of have that attitude and mm-hmm. spirit, um, the better that our food community will be. Okay. So it's not like us and them and, oh, they're this and I'm this, mm-hmm. you know. It's not about that. It's not about being
4: professional. Mm-hmm. It's about being a human person absolutely yeah totally good answer all right we're gonna wrap up this section with one more um melissa just mentioned one but do you have any other resources to reference on building accessible food communities
5: um I just say go to my Instagram page and whoever I'm following, just go follow those folks. <laughs> 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 yeah, the for us. I, I read a lot. I mean, I'm 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 a huge I'm I'm a food a food tank fan. You know, mm. um, amazing resources, and she's doing they're doing a, a lot of great work. Um, but I I don't tend to stick to just one source you know again like I I don't corner myself into just like one movement or one source so I read a lot but again like I said Lauren Nixon is a really great person to follow but um, I follow some really cool people on Instagram. So just go be, be a, be a stalker. Foodtalksdc.com. <laughs> and also go to my page. I have some stories up, you know, about individuals who told their narratives um, as well. But I will say Detroit is doing the damn thing when mm-hmm. it comes to food. Mm-hmm. And I, you ladies know, I was, I went to Detroit last year specifically to meet with growers and builders to get stories. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, Detroit is 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 a is a magical city. Mm -hmm. Like despite what they've been through, they're a tough city, and they are doing some really dope things there. So, outside of DC, focus on Detroit. They need a lot of love, but they're also it's already a lot of love out there. But the food, what they're doing with food and art and community, Mm -hmm. it's amazing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I've heard that.
3: I think it's. I'm going
5: this year. Actually, I'm really excited. Yeah, pineapple Detroit. What? (laughs) listen, I will help you make that happen.
3: Um, Yeah, I mean, I would say if you're really interested in food and you want to be legit about it, um, kind of broaden your circle and the kinds of people that you want to follow and and are interested in. You know, look beyond bloggers, look beyond writers, and, you know, to your point, talk about, or, you know, Google female farmer in X city that you live in. You know, see what you'll find. Because these people generally are not always the coolest person, and they're not being covered by mainstream media. They're not, you know, in the front of the... Of the spotlight they're working really hard and you know helping to like you know sometimes you can't even google these people um but you know in for example there's a woman farmer who i really love and she used to have a plot in the north fork um, of long island and she's moving spaces but she's used to be a seed scientist or something. I'm botching that. That's not what she did. Um, But let's call her a seed scientist. Uh, No, but she she worked more scientifically with agriculture and, and seeds and things like that. And then she moved back to the States and was growing things and really interesting varietals that you can't find anywhere else. And she's a fascinating human who works her ass off. And she's somebody worth knowing about. And, you know, the kind of person where you could say, Oh, could I come by your farm? Or could we grab coffee? And she probably would. So it's not always the people that you think that you should know about and the people making things look nice and perfect and pretty, Mm -hmm. but get to know the people that are growing the things, making them happen. Um, You know, urban planners that have knowledge about where you could put a rooftop farm, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that where... There's an intersection of food in almost everything that people do, especially when you work in a city. And that to me is endlessly fascinating, you know, like zoning for stuff like that. And this neighborhood doesn't have a grocery store and, Mm -hmm. you know, getting involved in your community and kind of asking those questions rather than just giving, absorbing what's put in front of you.
4: Right. Well, thank you both. And I'm really grateful that we can continue this conversation tonight. Yay. And mm-hmm. I'm also going to take your advice and officially invite you both over to my home <laughs> for a meal. Perfect. <laughs> We're uh, in. Let's Sounds do it. good. Dining in.
2: <laughs> thank you, Maddie, for leading the uh, Spitfire round, thank and you. Allison and fun. Melissa mm-hmm. for contributing all of those fascinating insights. Um, and we're here live on Full Service Radio every other Friday at noon, and you can access each episode of Pineapple Radio after it airs on FullServiceRadio.org. Be sure to follow Pineapple at Pineapple Collaborative on Instagram, Allison at Allison E Roman. Mm-hmm. Allison Roman was taken. <laughs>
3: Dang! I know. she? I don't know.
2: And Melissa at Food Talks DC. And if you have any suggestions for women we should feature, send us a DM on Instagram or email us at hello at pineapplecollaborative.com. And thank you all so much for being with us. And uh, you on the air as well or at home, at your desk, wherever you are, have a beautiful weekend and uh, talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.
0: Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at Full Service R-D-O, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.